you know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, <laughs> I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f- best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. What these young bloods have to understand, that this game has always been and will always be about buckets. Just attack the basket. Buckets brought to you by BetMGM, the king of sports books. Glad to have you with us. My name is Matt Moore. I'm the senior NBA writer for the Action Network, and this is your How to Bet Rookie of the Year episode. On today's show, we'll talk about how do you bet Rookie of the Year? What's the process for finding those candidates? What kind of numbers should you be looking at in preseason versus in season? What's the timing? How do you make sure that you don't miss the window on when the value can be found on this award? How do you define value when it comes to Rookie of the Year? And to do all that and more, I'm joined by NBA Futures Analyst Brandon Anderson back with me again. He's going to be on several of these episodes. Glad to have Brandon back with me. And Brandon, as we do every year, we have a set of kind of, sort of, yeah, pretty much rules that we go by. And you, uh, my friend, have excellent ones that you use as guidelines for how to find the value in these preseason markets. I'm going to let you take it away. Give me the rundown of, in preseason, what are the rules that you look for when trying to guide your Rookie of the Year bets? Yeah, as you know, I focus a lot on like the historical profile. What does each of these awards look like? So we'll go through that on each one. It's always tricky. You and I kind of go head to head a little bit on, okay, so that's who won it before. But what about this year? The rules don't always apply. There are exceptions to the rules. So we'll talk through that. Just to give people just a quick rundown of here are the last 10 rookie of the year. Just the names. Just to recall, your, refresh your memory. Paolo last year, if you listen to the podcast, we were all over him immediately all the way throughout. Scotty Barnes, LaMelo, John Morant, Luca. That's your last five. And then Benjamin Simmons, Malcolm Brogdon, Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins, and Michael Carter Williams. So I, I looked back at really a lot of my rules are since LeBron. Since LeBron won Rookie of the Year. So that's kind of where I start. I've got five rules. Num- rule number one for winning Rookie of the Year you got to score a lot of points. Real surpriser here, right? You got to score some points. That's going to be the rule for pretty much every award except Defensive Player of the Year. Minimum 15, probably 18. Since LeBron won the award, 18 out of 19 Rookie of the Years have scored at least 15 points a game. Average 17.7 during that span. Malcolm Brogdon, the one exception. Malcolm Brogdon is the exception on pretty much everything. So can't count on him. 14 of the last 21 Rookies of the Year led in points per game, although four of the last six did not. Again, Brogdon's on that list. No Simmons, no John Morant, no Scotty. They're usually close, but have not led. So you got to score points, 15 at least, probably 18. Any real surprise here for you? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think production is always going to be like a, a, a pretty good evaluator if you're looking at rookies. I think one of the things that this is in some ways a less – sophisticated award yeah. in that DPOY there are shortcuts that the voters take because we don't have accurate ways to assess defense, but six man of the year uh, is kind of similar to this one. MVP, I think it has a lot more. There's a lot more that goes into it. We try and seek out like, well, who's actually 
the most valuable versus like rookie of the year because it's not most valuable rookie of the year. It's just rookie of the year. It's pretty easy to <laughs> shorthand this. So I'm not necessarily surprised that production is going to be like the baseline starting point for a lot of this. Agreed. And, and we'll unpack that a little more in rule three. First, another production one. This one's your favorite from a year ago. Rule number two, you always need to bet not just on points, but points and rebounds and assess. We love our PRA. You need a minimum of 25 PRA, hopefully 30. Since LeBron in 04, 16 out of 19 rookies of the year led in points, rebounds, assess. The guys who didn't, second, second, and third. So if you are not top three in PRA, you are out of luck and you are very likely number one. In fact, two of those guys that didn't just because Zion got hurt and Embiid got hurt. Otherwise, they would have led in one as well. So everybody since LeBron, except two guys, at least 25 PRA. Last five years, here's the stats for rookie of the year. 18 points, six and a half boards, five and a half assists. So right at 30 points, rebounds, and assists. Again, production. Counting numbers, this isn't hard. We need guys that put up numbers. What was Paolo's rebound rate last year? Seven, eight, somewhere in there. Because I want to know. I want to know what his rebound rate was right last year. Because it doesn't feel like Paolo's a good rebounder, as, uh, as Team USA would definitely attest. <laughs> yeah, we're, as, as we record this, several hours after Team USA has been eliminated from the FIBA World Cup by Germany. So feeling a little differently about some of these guys at this exact moment. Hey, he averaged 6.9 last year. That's a really good rebound okay. rate. So yeah. uh, I will concede, if nothing <laughs> if nothing else, I'll say this, it can't hurt. Like it, it's a, it's yeah. a, at least like a really good addition and it's not a non-factor. Like I think if you rebound, it is definitely something where it's like, hey, not only did he average 18 a game, but also he grabbed six points. Like I could see that happen. Right. So fair enough. Yeah, and, and I think, too, what it says as much as anything is it just shows volume, volume in minutes. Like, you need a guy who's going to play a lot and do a lot of stuff. That's really all that we're saying here. And that shouldn't be a real surprise. Again, rookie of the year, not a super hard one to parse. We're not looking for, well, who's the 12-minute guy off the bench with the high vorps and schwarps? Like, that's not it. So that actually brings me to rule number three, rookie of the year. Not about defense, not about efficiency, not about wins. So here's the numbers. Since Emeka Okafor, 2005, clearly a defender, clearly a big part of why he won. Since then, I don't know if you could really say defense was a big reason anybody won rookie of the year. Here's the closest. Scotty Barnes, 2022, probably in his case for sure. Ben Simmons, though I'm not sure exactly how much we were in love with his defense early. He had the numbers. Brogdon, I guess. I don't know. Brogdon won because we ran out of options and Bede was hurt. And maybe Chris Paul. Really, that's it. Defense does not win your rookie of the year. We'll come back to it. But that should be a big, big red flag for our guys, Victor Ramanyama and Chad Holmgren, two of the three favorites. The two favorites at most books because defense is a big part of their value. Efficiency. Not about efficiency. Five of the last 15 rookies of the year led in BPM. Only five were number one. In fact, under half were top two. Average BPM finish. And you know, Matt, BPM is the gospel for me. Average finish is basically four, 3.93. And last decade, only two of our 10 rookies of the year finished second. So VORP, a little better because you're counting in playing time now. But are you surprised at all to hear that defense or BPM don't seem to be in, in the heavily in the metrics here? I'm not surprised. It it makes a lot of sense to me. I was just looking this up, and I think it's interesting. Uh, your holy grail is BPM. Mine's EPM. <laughs> right. It's made of plus minus. So I, I just decided to go ahead and look this up. Um, only one rookie of the year since 2011. So in the last 12 years, only one has had... A B, an EPM worse than minus 1.0. Paolo was minus 0.9 last year. The worst was Wiggins in 2015. That was minus 1.6. Everybody else has been either around zero or a positive. I'm a little surprised at that. I would have thought that this would vary a lot more, that this would be a lot more negatives. I thought, and like, granted, like your EPM is 
is very much weighted towards zero. So you're not going to have like yeah. a lot of, it's very hard for you to play enough to be like a minus four. So um, Dylan Brooks will probably try this year, but still like in general, uh, I'm a little bit surprised at that. And it does kind of give me like a little bit of a, like a guiding post here where I will be kind of looking at guys throughout the season and being like, okay, is, is their EPM better or worse than say minus 0.5 and take a look at those just from like a, a, a guidepost here. And maybe that's like a better way to do it is I do think that if you were, if you were a, a pure production guy who was genuinely hurting your team and it gets tough to determine with a lot of the, the teams, these guys are right. On. But if you're genuinely hurting, I do think that will get held against you to a certain degree. And a good example of that might be the reason that Kate Cunningham won over Jalen green, right? Is like, Jalen put up some no, 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 neither one of them won. Scotty Barnes oh, yeah. won. Barnes. Scotty. Yeah, and like Jalen wasn't even really in that combo, right? Right. Like Cade made a late push at the end. He off to a terrible start and made a late push at the end. And then that's another good example there because Scotty had the best EPM of those guys. So um, not to say that it's like a guide, a guide post. I think it, it more is instructive of once again of why I'm so high on EPM, which is a, it winds up being – it's very much a correlative thing for me and not cause causation where for whatever reason, EPM does tend to reflect a lot of the things that the basketball discourse values, at least from a voter perspective. So I'm, I'm not going to like look at it. And if I don't know, uh, Oscar Thompson is number one in EPM, I won't be like, let's bet him. But I will kind of probably look at it as the yeah. season goes on. Yeah, no, I think that's the point here. And I think who comes to mind for me is Walker Kessler from last year. Like he's the guy who is defending well, who is on a winning team for much of the season, making a winning impact, whose numbers and BPM, EPM, I'm sure all popped and were really good, didn't win Rookie of the Year. At the end of the day, it wasn't really, really in the hunt for it. Like, I mean, he's he's top three, but he, he didn't win. He didn't come close to winning at the end of the day. So I think just to say, you know me, you know, my Joe Ingles side of things here where I'm like, yeah, but but Joe Ingles, the best bench player, all the metrics, all the advantage, like, yeah. that's not the way to do this. We're not going to pick the advanced rookie. We want to just pick the guy with the numbers. So good, another good example of this is I thought that, that Steven Adams should have won in his year. Interesting. It no, it wasn't the Brogdon year, but it, it was. No, I think uh, that's uh, Michael Carter Williams, oh, maybe. Williams. I thought it should have been Adams. I was like, he's starting yeah. for a playoff team. Like, he's starting for a playoff team and he's good. What are we doing here? And. <laughs> Like there was just never any shot, right? And that's a good example of this where it's like you can do a lot of good things and help your team win. And if you're not putting up 18 and five in one of the categories, you're yeah. probably not going to win. Yeah, Steven Adams probably not going not gonna to win some awards. Not a numbers guy. My man does a lot of things, but, but not the numbers. Wins also. That was the other part of rule number three. Wins are not really relevant here. Last 15 rookies of the year averaged 33.7 wins. That's including paced out seasons, obviously, for the shorter ones, average 10.7 seed. So even in our expanded postseason format, they averaged missing the play-in still. So look, you probably got drafted to a very bad team. That's how the draft is set up. You probably aren't good enough to make the very bad team not very bad anymore immediately as a rookie. That's how basketball works. We're not penalizing you for that. It's it's the same thing with BPM here. It's if you are if if Victor Wembanyama comes in and the Spurs win sixty and are the one seed, he's going to win Rookie of the Year. We're going to reward you if you are that awesome. But since that's not going to happen, we're not going to penalize you for it not happening. Four of the last fifteen Rookie of the Years were top eight seeds. That's it, twenty seven percent. So it helps. We like if you win, especially if you have a big role on the winning team. But the more you win unless you're probably going to play as a rookie. I'm sorry. That's how it usually works. This doesn't matter. You're absolutely right. Um, for the, the betting purposes, I just want to like real quickly say that this is bullshit. And that <laughs> the fact that we don't reward guys for earning minutes on playoff teams makes me crazy. Like, I'm sorry. It's hard for rookies to earn their coaches trust it. And the secret, the thing that nobody talks about, it's hard for rookies to earn the veterans trust. The guys in that locker room that are trying to get their contracts that are in their advanced years, that are trying to keep their numbers up for bonuses, they do not want to be feeding and helping along the kiddo who's just trying to get his feet wet, right? There are good vets that take care of their rookies, and there's a lot of teams where those guys are left on their own. And if you're a guy that walks into a, a team with playoff aspirations, let alone championship aspirations, 
and you contribute to the degree that you wind up starting because you are that important, that should matter way more. That said, this is a betting podcast and we deal with what is and not what should be. And Brandon's yeah. absolutely right. It does not matter. All right. So, so far through three rules out of our five, we basically have learned, hey, just get the numbers. That's it. Get the numbers. Great. We knew that about awards already. Last I'm two t- rules, I think, are the most told. interesting here. I'm told this game uh, is and always has been about buckets. So <laughs> I, I have heard that. In fact, it is and always has been about buckets. Rule number four. This one's really important. Rookie of the year, bat on a top pick, like a really top pick. So here's the numbers. Since the 1950s, only four rookies of the year have won outside of the top 10 picks. 10 picks. We're down to 10 guys already. Only four out of 63. That means 94% of all rookies of the year came in the top 10 picks. And... Only one in that stretch after number 18. So sleepers, great. Don't go too far down the list. Like sleeper might be like the seventh pick or the ninth pick or maybe fringe lottery. Then we're out. That's it. That's what history tells us here. And again, by the way, who's the one after number 18? Do you know? Someone's still playing. Really? Malcolm Brogdon, my friend. The exception to all the rules on the list. Second round, number 36. Yeah, so what's interesting about that is, as you kind of mentioned, Brogdon won as kind of a default because of who? Because Joel Embiid played 36, 39 games, I forget, That's somewhere right. in there. So like Embiid wins that in a walk if he winds up playing 50 oh, games, sure. 40 games, you know? And so like Brogdon really is like the outlier of outlier, but it does kind of show you in the event that this class is considerably worse than expected, if it is truly bad, then there might be value on long shots, but that has to kind of be your starting premise here is that not only does women Yama have to be bad, but it's going to have to be like all of the guys that were highly touted. They're unimpressive (laughs) as well in order for you to get to a a spot here, because those guys are going to get more attention, more coverage uh, and more appreciation for their, for what they do. Correct. And it's not just top 10 pick. We can whittle down even further. Since 1990, so the last three decades, 24 out of 35 rookies of the year, 69% top three picks. Three! We're down over two-thirds of the time to three dudes. This year, four, because Chet Holmgren counts from a year ago. But that really narrows the field. In fact, 16 times out of 35, 46%, nearly coin flip, It's literally just the number one pick. You could just blind bet the number one pick at nearly even odds and still be almost profitable for three decades. So more recently, if you care about just what's happening lately, nine of the last 15 top three picks and two of the guys I missed went to number four because Evan Mobley got hurt and because Blake Griffin was hurt that year. So again, I'm sorry that makes this not interesting to talk about. The guys at the top of the draft are the best players. This is selection bias working in our favor. The guys at the top are the best. They're going to the worst team, so they're getting more playing time. That's why this works. Look, if you listen to me on other podcasts at Action Network, NFL Rookie of the Year, Defensive Rookie of the Year, rookie picks overwhelmingly in anything you look at are take the guy at the top of the draft. They went there for a reason. They're going to earn the playing time right away. They're, They're ready to play. So history says we are probably, probably down to, for this year, four guys in our top three for Rookie of the Year. Yeah, I don't think I, I have any sort of like pushback against it. I think <laughs> it is it is interesting to think about the idea of, do they go at the top for a reason or do they get the attention because they were taken high? Like that correlation, sure. I think, is pretty important. Well, again, selection bias. I don't really care yeah. what the reason is as long as it's, as long as they're getting the attention. Have you looked at rates in in and pardon the pun but buckets have you looked at it as in like the rate of one through five the rate of five through ten etc like how often a top three hits versus how often a a four through ten sort of range right uh well no but i can do that very quickly for you here so since 1990 35 rookies of the year 24 were top three picks and that leaves 11 that were not top three picks but only Michael Carter-Williams and Brogdon were outside the top 10. So nine out of 35 
would have then been four through 10 picks. Nine out of 35 is about one quarter of the time. So not yeah. terrible. Yeah, I think, it, and that's kind of interesting, right? Is like, you definitely don't want to go beyond 10, but it is kind of, and I think one of the things here is also for building positions, it allows you to, you can cover your bases. Although I will say like, even for me, portfolio better, I find rookie of the year. Don't, this is not one I want to bet portfolio on. Um, and what I mean by that is like, it's got to be a situation where it's like a race between two guys and then one guy pulls ahead. So I bet the other one. And then that guy pulls ahead. So I bet the, like, that's the only way I want to do this. If you listen to the show consistently, you'll know, like I'm a portfolio better. I bet MVP, like I'll start betting MVP first two weeks of the season. I'll move. I will move in, in November and December. That's how I bet that award. I'll probably do a little bit of that with some of the other awards as well. This is not one of them because the narrative tends to establish itself pretty clearly and pretty, evidently and there's not these swings and i think paolo last year is a pretty good indication of this where it's like paolo won the award in november and it was just done and there wasn't anything anyone could have done and you could say (laughs) that really wasn't fair blah blah blah. again we deal with what is and like paolo didn't shoot efficiently and the magic didn't make the playoffs and the and honestly paolo's shooting efficiency was really poor and he wasn't a great defender and the magic i don't think underperformed last year but they weren't like a revelation either. These things that would have like definitely set him aside. You could have put it in question, especially with, with like, as Brandon said, Walker Kessler with the impact that he had and the way that he played and the blocks and everything. But it was done. Like it was just done. It was over. It was finished. And even when Benedict Matherin got off to like such a hot start, it never really punctured Paolo's yep. resume. Like it was pretty much done, honestly, since Summer League. Like we told you at Summer League to bet it then. And we're not, you know, that. I resist the victory lapping. The The thing I'm trying to point out here is to me, rookie of the year is a very evident award that we don't have to be like, well, okay, hold on. Things can get weird. It usually doesn't get weird, which I think is really fascinating. Um, another good example of this, honestly, is again, when we look at, uh, sorry, but I'm going to go back to this. The, the Scotty Barnes year, I think is like a really good example of this, of like, why, why didn't Franz Wagner win? Like what, why, why, why didn't Franz Wagner win this award? <laughs> didn't go high enough. I think it really genuinely is part of the issue there. So uh, I do, I definitely think you're right that there's definitely an anchor here to the perception of the top five guys being considered elite. And it's got to come from one of those guys, unless you are far and away the evident number one. Yeah. I think you, the the tie break goes to the guys that we all expected it to go to, right? Like Mm -hmm. if, if you're going to steal it away, you got to really grab it and make sure that it's yours in most cases. Last rule here, rule number five. Now, this is a rule in a work in progress rule, but this is a trend that I think is a thing that we're looking at. I prefer a rookie of the year guard, but more importantly, I need an engine. So here's what I mean by that. Since Okafor 2005 won rookie of the year, only three big men have one rookie of the year. Paolo obviously being one of them, Blake Griffin and Cat are the other two. That's only three out of 18 winners. One out of six, 17%. Again, our top two favorites are big men this year. That has to be relevant to us. Now I will point out, Zion wins the award if he doesn't get hurt. And Bede wins the award if he doesn't get hurt. Mobley, I think, probably wins the award if he doesn't get hurt. Guess what? Big men get hurt. Like that's... That's not an irrelevant part of this. It's not fair to say, well, they would have won. Yeah, but we need actual winners on our ticket. And the fact that big men were good, but not good enough to keep staying on the court for two guys who are going to be obvious possible injury risks, I think that matters. So that's very interesting. More recently, five of our last seven winners were lead guards. And if you look, instead of lead guard as as the hub, the engine of the team, because now that's Paolo, and that was part of our case a year ago. I think five of the last six really were the hub or the engine of the team. We need someone, we need points, we need assists, we need rebounds, we need the guy with the ball in his hands. Asar Thompson, I really like him. He's not going to be that for Detroit, not this year. He's the guy, like, when you watch him at Summer League, what you like about him is the ball moves. It gets to him, and it goes to the next guy. He makes the right decision. It's moving along. He's not a hub. He's not going to be the hub for that team, not right now. So that really narrows it down again because there's just not that many guys that you can play through. And I think as we get to Chet and Victor, this is a really important question is, are they the hub? How much are those two teams going to play through those guys? 
And is it enough to get to the numbers that we need here? Who are the the outlier? Who are the big men outliers? Paolo, Cat, and Blake Griffin. And Blake, by the way, of course, did not win it his actual first draft year because he was injured. He won it the next year. So the translation for this is, to me, there is a metric we can use, and it's just usage, man. Um, yeah, sure. And it, it kind of speaks a little bit to the fact that rebounds, like you would agree that rebounds matter more than assists. Am I accurate in that description? Uh, I think so. I mean, I think you just want to put up numbers, but rebounds are much easier. That's all. Like, I think if you led the league in assists or if you average double digit assists, it'd be one thing. It's very difficult for a rookie to do that. Like, it's just very difficult for a rookie to do that. Um, right. So, so really what you're saying is one guy might get four versus two. It's hard for assists to, for you to make a noticeable difference with, yes. with enough assists compared to right. the other stats. Yeah. And usage is very easy, I think, to generate. Um, yeah. And so Cat of those guys had the lowest assist rate and he was at 25%. If you're not familiar with usage rate, like if you're above 20%, you get the ball quite a bit. Yeah. Um, if you have a 30%, you're Luca. Like you're, you have it all the time. It's ISO, it's isocentric. Luca actually has the highest usage of any player to win rookie of the year. Um, in the last 25 years uh, at 30.5%. Second highest was Kyrie at 29, and then LeBron at 28, and then KD at, at uh, 28 as well. And guess who was fifth in usage rate? Paolo Bancaro. And sixth, Blake Griffin. Last 25 years. So the, the correlation here is if you're a big, you better have the ball all the time. Yeah. And so to me... That's another reason why you and I are skittish, I think, on Wembenyama yeah. for Rookie of the Year, is I don't know if he's going to have the ball all the time. I don't know if the ball is going to him in the po- in the at, at any point on the floor, time after time after time, versus like, Blake got the ball all the time. Cat got the ball all the time. Paolo had the ball all the time. And if you're a guard, you're, you're just dribbling up and in, and you already have the ball anyway. So... um that to me is, is the, the thing to look at here is if you're like, well, he's really efficient. So if he, if, if he were to shoot more, he could win this. Don't do that because there's no promise of usage increasing, especially for a rookie. I don't think. Yeah, I agree. I think that's exactly it. The NBA season is just around the corner. So get in on the action with the King of Sportsbooks. sign up with BetMGM using bonus code action and get up to $1,000 paid back in bonus bets. If your first bet doesn't win. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Michigan, Mississippi, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Puerto Rico, Tennessee, Virginia, Washington, D.C., West Virginia, Wyoming, or Ontario only. Must be 21 or older to wager, 19 or older in Ontario. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued is non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Excludes Michigan disassociated persons. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, D.C., Kansas, Louisiana, Nevada, Wyoming, or Virginia. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-GAMBLER in Indiana, Maryland, New Jersey, or West Virginia. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. Call or text the Tennessee Red Line at 800-889-9789 or call 1-888-777-9696 in Mississippi. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, please contact Connex Ontario at one 866 531 2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge sports betting is void in georgia hawaii and utah and other states where prohibited promotional offers not available in nevada and new york so those are the rules basically we need a lot of points we probably need points rebounds assists doesn't matter if you defend or win games or are efficient as much and we know that we're looking at our top picks most of all and we're probably going to need some high usage hub engine type guys so This year, obviously, 
no shocker here. We have an odds-on favorite. So I, I think it behooves us as we look at the players. We have to start with what do we think about Wemanyama. We've already gotten into that a little bit. And I think talk about Chet and Scoot and then maybe hit some of the names further down the board. So Victor right now I see at minus 135 at our sponsor, BetMGM. Those odds have been slowly dropping a little bit. They have been just inching down toward do, do you think by opening day do you think we're at a plus number here or is it gonna go that far i see as low as a minus 115 out there right now so we're, we're getting there i'll say yes and the reason i'll say yes is i think it's entirely possible that one of the other guys absolutely yeah. goes off in preseason and that's then, fair and there's a big push of money that comes in 35 cents is enough to get this down to at least minus 110 if not to so, so effectively, either way, you're looking at your choice here is Wemanyama versus the field. That's effectively the bet that you were being asked to decide. And, and you have to decide this because if you like him, that's the bet. That's it. If you don't like him, the fact that there is a minus number favorite here, if that's not who you think is going to win, has to imply that there is significant value at all the other numbers down the board. If there is a minus number guy that's taking up half of the field options, the odds have to be in our favor later. So to me, that's why this award race is interesting this year. That's why it is bettable, because if you don't think it's Wembenyama, if you don't think he's the bet, then you've got a really good chance to go down the board and find the, the good value that's sitting there. In our in our chats, we talk a lot about, in our group, cha- group chats, we talk a lot about, like I talk a lot about like, the market and is the number right. And so I'm curious from your perspective, I'll give you a second to think about it <clears throat> about where you think Victor should be appropriately priced at outside the context of handle, because we don't know for bet MGM versus right, other sure. in the market. We don't know what the liability is on Victor specifically. I would have to assume it was high initially. And then probably they started taking on a little, a lot of water at summer league with, with scoot and some of the other guys. So, for me, um, I do think this number is high. I also, I don't know if I can say it should be a minus number. So like, I think it's at least 30, I think it's at least 25 cents off. And I think that probably closer, like, I think if it gets to a plus 105, that's where I would start to be like, yeah, I don't know. That's probably a little bit long. Um, I think he should still be because he is that much of a phenom. He is that highly regarded. There is that much hype and attention on him. Uh, and, you know, he is seven four and is going to do a lot of stuff and going to have a big <laughs> role. Uh, regardless of how he looked at Summer League, that's not NBA basketball. He might look better depending on what Pop does with him. So I think anything that's plus 105 is too long. But that's probably my stopping point is 100. Like that's even money is probably my stopping point for where the value should be. And I think that anything over like 115, I would still kind of be like, "Eh, I don't I don't want to bet this 110. And I'm like, I might. That's really the range of of 15 cents that I would be looking at if I'm looking to bet women Yama and at minus 135, it's absolutely a no for me, not based off of Victor, but based off of the price. I don't think that's the right price for Victor women Yama, given what we've seen and what we know. So I'll answer to the percentage, but I want to ask this first, then just to be clear, if you had a, a, a rookie of the year board and everyone is even odds and you could pick anyone, your favorite to win rookie of the year, your outright favorite would be Victor women Yama, correct? Yes. Okay. So he's not my favorite. He yeah. is my second favorite. I put his percent at 30%, somewhere in that range, which would put him something. I can't really make a good case for him being much further than the plus 200 or lower than that. So I think this number is way off. I think it is a very clear no bet right now, in part because part of the reason that I'm hesitant to bet on him is I think that, look, we know the body shape that we're looking at here. There's going to be times where he sits a game for a back-to-back for rest. It's the Spurs. It's going to happen. I'm sorry you found out this way. Like, There's going to be like a national TV Spurs game because they put a bunch of them out there, and Victor's going to sit because this team is going to play the long game. They know what they have in him, and they will be careful if they need to. There's going to be times where he probably is injured, and I hope it's not much, and I'm not rooting for it, 
But even if he misses a week or two weeks or something, now, important caveat here, when we did this in July, the rules for the new CBA were not even out yet that we knew. As far as I can tell, the 65-game minimum is not applicable for Rookie of the Year. In the CBA, it does not mention Rookie of the Year for that. So that does not mean voters won't consider it now that it's a rule for everything else. I think it still is going to be in the mind. But, you know, if Victor plays 62 games, he is not ineligible and not on the ballot anymore. But I do think there's a risk that he just doesn't play for a while. And again, that doesn't mean he can't win, but it does mean that his odds are going to drop a little bit when that happens. And we're at a minus number right now. Even if I want him to to be my pick, can I not get this later sometime when he's injured for a little bit or he's resting? There's yeah. going to be bad numbers games because he's going to have three fouls in the first five minutes because he's going to foul dudes until he learns to tone things down a little bit. That's not been a huge problem, but it's just that's that's part of the player type. And now you had four points that night because you're in foul trouble, just didn't get into it. The Spurs, I don't think, are going to suddenly win 50 games and they're not going to suddenly be the like, oh my gosh, just overwhelming. We have to give it to Victor for that reason. I, this, I, I, I think that the hype for Victor is in some part justified. He clearly is an incredible talent but the overhype that we're getting is going to die down a little bit as we just get into, okay, well, now it's game to game and it's a long season. We're seeing this play out. The one caution I have for myself here, again, as you remind me, importantly, humans vote for things. Humans are the voters here. And I do think if Victor looks as special as we think that he looks, and, and presumably he does, certainly I'm I'm not saying he's a bust at all. I'm saying he is my second rookie of the year favorite. If it's close, I think there's going to be some voters who are like, man, I'm not going to be on the wrong side of history. I'm not going to be the guy that two decades from now is the dude that didn't vote for Victor for rookie of the year. I'm not that one. So I, I do have some concerns there that my pick Scoot Henderson has to really win rookie of the year and pull away a little bit. Do you think that's a real concern? Absolutely. If Victor doesn't, let's say that, that Scoot has a bunch of signature nights, 30 plus points, 35, maybe a 40 in there, which is very rare for a rookie, but Scoot's absolutely got the potential to do it. And honestly, his passing was really impressive to me in pre in uh, summer league as well. But let's say that Scoot has like a, a season littered with all these like signature performances, but the averages are still a little bit like, you know, he only, he only shot 41% from the field and he shot like 32% from three. Like it wasn't efficient. He just shot a lot. Right. And Victor, the numbers aren't as explosive, but you're just like, that guy's amazing. Like he just impacts the game in so many ways on, on both ends of the floor with his combination of talent. There's gonna be a lot of like, that's, you know, look, he didn't have great numbers, but he's going to be a hall of famer and he'll get a lot of credit there. Yeah. Um, an interesting comp, though, I think from that perspective is honestly, we go back to Scotty Barnes. And the reason I say that is like, there were a lot of people that going into that draft that felt that Evan Mobley was the best player in the draft. Like there was, it was not a wild consideration. Like there, it was a very popular take amongst very smart people that Evan Mobley was the best player in that, in that class. And so, and like Evan's numbers were not good enough. And so he wasn't able to get in that conversation. So like we go back to the rules, right? Which is like, you're going to need to put up the numbers. I will say, I think the, the injury stuff, both from a likelihood and a Spurs rest approach, I do feel are being slightly overstated. Um, The reason not by you, but I think you're like, you're echoing a pretty, a pretty common sentiment. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's reasonable. And it's reasonable. I think that the body shape has us in naturally like a, I've seen this before, but it's like, well, we haven't seen this kid before and everybody sure. gets to have like their shot at it. The more interesting one I do think is that I genuinely do feel that San Antonio, while they'll be cautious, right? Because they have this long-term future in mind. I don't think it will be as egregious as people are kind of expecting 
Sure. San Antonio was extremely protective when the games didn't when they rested Tim Duncan when it didn't matter if Tim played. They didn't need that game. They didn't need to win that one and it was like way more important. Like there was no value in Tim. What what sure. does Tim playing in that game do? Versus with Weminyama, if you're able to if they're able to say the reason he plays in this game is so that he can improve. They're very committed to those processes. And so while I do think that there will be a reasonable amount of spursiness in their approach, I'm at least not anticipating, I could be wrong on this, but I'm not anticipating a hyper-cautious peak end of Spurs rest management load for him. So those are things that I don't necessarily consider as concerning. My genuine concerns have way more to do with, I don't know what his game's going to look like. And that's enough for it to be honestly. I talked about how at one at one oh five it's too long. Does that mean at a one oh five I'm betting it instantly? No. At one fifty, am I looking at it? Yes. I'm looking sure. at it. I'm looking at it that price too. Yeah. But even then, it's not like an a super attractive bet for all the reasons that we've kind of talked about. Yeah. And for me, it does have to do a lot with the with what the game is. This is a good discussion. I want to hear. You, you've, you, we've gone over this. We did an entire pod earlier in the summer about rookie of the year, but I do want to go ahead and give you the space um, to give the scoot case, which I think is an excellent one. And it's going to be a popular one. I'll talk a little bit about the context of his situation in a second, but I want to give you um, some time. Give me the, the, the very abbreviated, but strongest case you can make on <laughs> why you have scoot as the favorite. Yeah, so Scoo right now at BetMGM is plus 450. That, that's the best price out there, implied 18%. I have him more than double that. He's my favorite here. I have him closer to 40% as the favorite here. Again, that feels strong, especially since I'm already at 30% range for Weminyama, and I give Chet around 20. That's 90%. Yeah, that's what we said in the rules. Top three picks. That's who wins Rookie of the Year. Spoiler, I don't want Brandon Miller. So I'm taking the other three as my top three guys. That's what I'm going on. Scoot fits all the boxes. He is a franchise player type. He is a star on the court. He is a big personality. We saw that at Summer League in the interviews, the way that he stepped on the court and was the immediate leader of the team and the leader of the guys on the side of the team and like on the sidelines and everything that he was doing, he oozes star potential, as does Wemanyam. I'm gonna I'm not saying he doesn't, but Scoot is going to look like he, he's the guy that's already being talked about as, you know, in a lot of other drafts, he would have been the number one pick. You know, well, he should have been the number two pick in this draft, but that's its other thing. But he's going to get that conversation. And Scoot is not an ordinary rookie in that this dude's been playing professional basketball for two years already. He's running the professional offense at the G League Ignite for not one, but two seasons and has run it quite well. And it shows when you step into a summer league game or when he had the games against Wemanyama, you see that he is a pro-ready, NBA-ready point guard. I think that the, the talent he has, the way that he gets to the rim or gets to his spot, to the pull-up, he can get the shot off pretty much whenever he wants. You see all the point guard skills that you look for in an NBA player. I think he enters into the league as maybe a top 20 point guard. Like when we talked about this in the summer, we went down the list. It's about that range. If I want a point guard right now, just for this season right now, I think he's maybe 18 to 22, 25 range. He is a starting slightly below average point guard as a rookie. You're going to put up numbers. I put him at something like 17 points, four rebounds, seven assists. That's much higher than where I'm at for for Victor Wimanyama. I have him something... I forget, much lower than that. That's 28 PRA. I have Victor not even getting to the 25 that we talked about. Damian Lillard, well, we'll get there. Damian leaves behind, I hope, for this bet, 32 points, five rebounds, seven assists. Those numbers are up for grabs. Assume his Dame is out of the lineup. So that's a lot of usage and a lot of shots and a lot of assists. And look, Portland is the moment that they trade Dame if and when it happens. They're going to want this dude to be their new franchise face and the star. And they're going to, as much as the Spurs thing back to Victor for a second, it's not really that I think that the Spurs are going to just like 
do the Tim Duncan thing. It's more that I don't think the Spurs will pull all the stops to make sure Victor wins Rookie of the Year at the end of the season. I don't think that's the San Antonio Spurs priority. I think they're a smarter franchise than that. I think they know what they have. I think the Portland Trailblazers, if they trade Damian Lillard, want Scoot Henderson to win Rookie of the Year, especially over Victor Weminyama. I think that they will want him out there in those games down the end. They will want him chucking and scoring 30 and 40 points down the stretch. And I think he can't. He can get his points. His passing has surprised me. That improved a lot the last couple of years to be have some more of those true point guard skills. So I have him 40% as not an odds-on favorite, but as my favorite here. I don't think his number should be any longer than plus 200. We grabbed this. I grabbed it at plus 600 in the summer when we first talked about it. I'm surprised, honestly, that's still plus 450. And I think part of that is because we don't know the Dame thing. And I want the long number. You know me. I want my long bets to pay off. So I would better right now rather than waiting for the Dame news because I think if Dame goes, then the odds swing and he drops to like a plus 300. But I want to hear from you on where do you stand, not on Scoot necessarily. I want to hear that too, but start with us. How much do I need to factor in the Damian Lillard thing? And can I even bet this right now or am I crazy? I I was going to ask you in your implied probability, how much do you have the possibility of Dame not getting traded? Like that's Uh, an important question. Close to zero. (laughs) I'm assuming Dame is gone. The problem here, I think, is you have to raise that a little bit, which should at least impact at least the number that you want to put out. Yeah, that's fair. Where he should be, because this is the NBA and this is like how the bookmakers think of it is like, right, is like, look, there's there are all these random possibilities that can happen that you have to account for. Uh, Is it zero? No. Is it 10? No. What I will tell you is I don't expect Dame at training camp. I don't expect Dame in preseason. And I don't expect Dame on opening day roster. Okay. Um, sorry. Opening opening night active roster. Sure. Okay. Uh, the most likely the most likely outcome has to be that he gets traded before the de- before the season starts. It's it is a, an inconvenience. It's going to be a headache. Everyone's going to get asked about it. The players are going to be annoyed about having to answer a million questions about Dame. You don't have a clear direction. Blah 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 blah. I'm expecting them to basically be like you know Joe Cronin to basically be like Dame. We understand the situation. Don't feel like you have to come. We're going to continue working on trying to find you uh the trade that you want um no i'm still not interested in nikola jovich thank you for asking um you know those types of things but he'll probably be excused from basketball activities if a situation doesn't resolve itself dame will probably be like all right i'm tired of this i want to play yeah and until you know for sure he's not going to take scoots usage there is a risk of this being not like a, ooh, well, it's neck and neck with Wemby. It's a zero because Scoot's coming off the bench next to behind Anthony Simons with Dame. Um, it should be noted that like Simons will take up some of the, some of the usage and will probably be like, it's my time. There will be some of that. Like Scoot's sure. going to get empowered for sure. I expect Scoot to look awesome in preseason. I expect to be a lot of hype about him. I think that this number probably drops. So from your... So if we're looking at this from a non-Dame considered perspective, this is the best number I think you'll get because I do think the minute that he steps on the floor, there's going to be a whole bunch of, oh shit, yeah. with Scoot. Because those of us that saw him at Summer League were like, oh shit. Like from the <laughs> yeah. minute that he stepped on the floor, you talked about this with him running the, the an NBA offense with G League, and this is really important. Victor's been playing in international basketball, which if you follow FIBA, you will recognize is entirely different from NBA. NBA is its own sport. It is not, it's not basketball. It's NBA. It's very different. Yep. And there are sometimes just little ways, even if Wembenyama's physical skills translate, there will probably be small ways in which he struggles to adapt. As part of that, Scoot Henderson, on the other hand, will look immediately. That guy belongs on NBA floor. He yep. looks like a three-year veteran. Holy God. Um, so I'm with you in terms of if you want to bet Scoot, this is probably the time to bet it. Just honestly, as we say that, I'm kind of like, yeah, maybe I got to go ahead and put 450 in. Let, let, let me talk the math real quick, just just to put yeah. some numbers to it. With Because we can't not factor in the Dame thing, so let's factor it in a little bit. At plus 450, we're implied 18%. I'm going to do the math in my head, so hopefully I get this right. 
if we assume that if we assume the books are factoring in what if Dame stays and and we'll say stays means for the season because that's probably what it takes to to really impact this here if that's 25% likely then the 18% implied is really saying really if Dame was gone 24% but we got to chop 25 we got to chop a quarter of that off cuz of Dame now we're down to 18 so 25 seems about as high as I would think that there's a chance that that oh, yeah. Dame stays so now we're now now we're really saying okay Dame could stay or also Scoot is more like a 25% if Dame's gone to win I still feel really good about that again I'm saying Dame staying is 0% basically in my projection but I have him at 40% so for me to consider this to be a bad bet Dame has to be more than 50-50 to stay to get to this 18% so uh, even factoring in Dame which we have to do I still think that it's a bet now situation for me. Yeah, I still think this is probably 21%, right? Like 21% versus the 18. I think that, that, yeah. that's probably where I would come down on it. Um, because here's the other thing is like, it's one thing for him not to be traded. It's another thing for him to play for the Blazers. Those are two separate questions. Right. Right. Like, they're, like one not automatically means the other, but there's a world in which Damian Lillard does not play basketball in 2023-24. It would be a disaster for everyone involved. But there's a scenario in which that happens, and he doesn't play basketball at all this year. And but yeah, he's on yeah. the Blazers roster, which would also be great for you because that means there's no Tyler Hero or anybody else taking up. Music. <laughs> yeah, that's it's true. Just, that's even better. <laughs> yeah, that helps you out. Um, yeah. Well, so, what do you think about what do you think about since we said top three? Let's touch quickly. Neither one of us is betting them, but Chad Holmgren plus three fifty at BetMGM, shorter odds than Scoot and Brandon Miller. Why why, why are you not betting Chad or Brandon Miller? So I want to ask, I actually want to go to Brandon Miller here first. I think Chet's okay. interesting from a basketball perspective. Brandon, if we take the, if we take, we, you and I, again, we talk a lot about this in our group chats about how I've kind of come in on, you can bet the number, you can bet the team, right? You can bet the number of the team or the spot. Yep. The, if, I, if we're looking at the rules and we say we want a player that's going to get the ball, a player that is going, that went high and a player that's going to score. At 13 to 1, doesn't objectively Brandon Miller have to be the contrarian play here? He's a top three pick. He's going to get a lot of usage. Lamella's going to throw him the ball. A lot of, like, if he scores, he probably won't have assists, but he'll probably have shots and rebounds, which is what we care about. High pace system, likely with Lamella. Yeah, sure. And at 13 to 1 for the number two overall pick. If we take our perceptions of his game <laughs> out of it, doesn't this objectively have contrarian value? I think I think contrarian value is the way to put it. My pushback is going to be, are we sure that he gets the shots and the usage? Because yeah. look at the dudes on the roster, and I know you hate this team. I, I don't love them, but I hate them less than you. The starting lineup, I think... I, I don't know if PJ Washington starts. I think at, at eventually, I think Miles Bridges is back in the lineup. So starting lineup is probably LaMelo, Terry Rozier, Gordon Hayward for whatever games he's healthy. Miles Bridges of the four, probably Mark Williams starting at center. That's your five. And PJ coming off the bench, he's going to get usage wherever he's at or Miles off the bench or whatever. And yeah, Hayward will miss some time and Rozier and whatever. But like that's your five. So Brandon Miller, I don't think is starting for the team. Off the bench, You've got still Lamelo Rozier usually on the court, so that's the guy we're relying on to get the ball to our Brandon Miller scoring machine that we want. That's not a hub. It's not a usage star. It's Lamelo and Rozier taking it up, and if it's not, it's our buddy James Booknight getting in, and he's going to get his shots up. Like summer league Hornets were a disaster because everyone that this team drafts is like, it's my turn. I have the ball. I'm shooting now, and like Brandon Miller had bad nights at Alabama in bad days for Alabama in March Madness in the tournament. Why? Because he did not have guards to get him the ball and run the offense. And I like LaMelo more than you. You really don't like LaMelo, but this is not the team that I want my non handling dude in as a pick here. So I just don't think he gets the touches. He should have gone number two. I, I just, he shouldn't have, I don't even know if he should go number three. Like I, I'm not, <laughs> Again, we, we bet the player, I'm with you, right? It is it, For me, this is simply a, this is a betting podcast. And if we take 
if we go by the rules, I know your your point about usage is accurate. If we think like, look, it's likely that the that the Hornets probably move Rozier and hey, like they're on a clock and they've tried. Like this is one of the problems I think with this logic is well they might trade Hayward and Rozier. You don't think they've tried? You don't think those conversations <laughs> have happened? Yeah. You don't think every point every team that that's looking for a, bo- a point guard or a backup point guard hasn't kicked the tires on Terry Rozier and found out the trade value is too high for Charlotte because of the contract? Or that every team that that starts to look at Gordon Hayward is just like we, he just can't stay healthy, so they might just be stuck with him. You're absolutely right on these things. You're absolutely right. I just kind of look at it and go, "What does Brandon Miller do? Well, he scores. What is what does <laughs> Brandon Miller do? Or where did Brandon Miller get drafted? He was number two. Like yeah. he fits our it, our categories at a number that is not commiserate with what we would typically see for a number two pick in the spot. So he he, he does except for that last rule, and that's why like the the twenty five percent or twenty percent usage, the hub engine concept. Yeah. I really don't see him fitting that even as a clear out guys, because it's going to be LaMelo with the ball in his hand. So like we get a clear dudes out and get LaMelo hurt again and just have nobody left. And now maybe it's Brandon Miller, even then like, that's just, that's not him. That's not who he's meant to be in the league. So I agree. I have him as the fourth favorite on my board because of all the stuff we've said, number two pick scoring top three, everything he's still 3% on my board. So it's still not the right number. He's implied 7% here. I think he's contrarian, but not contrarian enough. Like I I will not be surprised at all. The season starts and like a month in, he suddenly is 30 to one because we just haven't really noticed him do anything. And then now if you want to do the contrarian long shot, sure. I don't don't mind the nibble then. Uh, Chet Holmgren to me is another guy where I, I, I cannot, cannot see him being anything close to the hub engine usage thing that we need here. He's just not it. He's not going to be it right now when you have Shea Gildas-Alexander and Josh Giddy and Jalen Williams, who are really good players and deserve to have the ball in their hands. Chet is going to be the, the, the Walker Kessler this year. He's going to be a very good defender. He's going to have a lot of very good BPMs and EPMs, I think. He's going to have like a 68% true shooting. I'm going to come on this podcast in February and be like, shouldn't Chet Holmgren be in the rookie of the year conversation? Because that's how I want to vote. But that's not how we vote for the things. I don't think the numbers will be there. I don't think the scoring will be there. I don't think that he is the right pick for the award. He's going to have to be the, well, we don't really have a great candidate. So let's pick the guy who we really like because he's been a good defender and on a good winning team. And OKC, 47 wins. Wow. That's the Chet case. And I don't think this is the year for that because we have Scoot and Weminyama. I don't I don't like the number at 350. I just don't like it. I, I'll I'll make a here, here's like a, a case for you. Okay. What's the average scoring total? Since, since uh, 17.7 points a game last 15 years. Let's pull him to 15. Let's say that he's going to not have, not going to score as much, but he winds up winning. And let's say that the, the he's going to get to 15. Can Chet Holmgren get 15 points off of two open threes, four free throws, and some putbacks a game? Like that's like the. It's not that he's like a a a go to scoring weapon. It's that Shea gets him open enough, he gets putbacks, and he puts it in there. And to your point. I think he's a sneaky rebound candidate. Like maybe that's the thing is like, Hey, you know what? Women Yama averaged uh, 18, six and four and scoot averaged 20, um, three and five, which would be really high by the way. Um, like Tyreek Evans, notably 25, five. Um, but look, Chet, you know, scoot got hurt or whatever. And Chet averaged 15 and 10, right? Yeah. That's like kind of, I think, I think the, the idea is that he could junkyard his way to 15, 16 points. Not junkyard necessarily, but just like picks up random points in random situations. My thing is I'm just like, OKC's got a lot of mouths to feed because they're a really talented team. Yeah, There's just good. a bunch of dudes on this team. Like Shea's going to have an extremely high usage because he's awesome. He's a top five MVP guy. He literally was fifth on the MVP ballot last year. Yeah. Uh, Jalen Williams likely to get more touches and more sh- shots and more role. Josh Giddy, freaking awesome! Like they've got dudes. Yeah. Lou and Dort so, gonna get his shots up. Yep. So yeah, right. I, so Chad Holmgren in college, 
14 and 10, 14, 10 and two to assess. And so I, I, I will push back a little bit on the rebound thing just because that's part of my case against both Chet and Victor. Obviously they're real tall and have long arms and should be able to rebound, but the, the, the center of gravity and the strength issue, it, it can work long-term, but it's going to take some time. And Chet added a lot of strength since last year while he had the year off. But like, even in summer league, when we saw him, there were times he got absolutely pushed around on the boards by not NBA players who are, you know, like guys who are going to play, play in Europe this year. These guys are going to get pushed around on the board. So I don't know. I absolutely do not think either one of these guys gets a 10 rebounds per game. I don't think that they get that close. I think maybe like seven. And so now we're back down to like, okay, 13, seven and two. And, and we're short on the, the 25, let alone the 30 PRA. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, you, you do kind of have to ask yourself, do you think that he can pick up enough rebounds randomly throughout the yeah. game? But I'd also kind of point out, like, this is both a... Okay, so there's a lot of talk about rebounding with Team USA, right? Because Jaron didn't rebound at all. Jaron's never been a good rebounder. I think the difference is with Chet. Like, this is actually a pretty good point. Yeah, no, Chet's fundamentals in rebounding are very poor. Chet's still also kind of historically still been a pretty good rebounder in terms of production-wise because he's the size of a giraffe. <laughs> and so... Like just having like sometimes being tall is just able to get you enough to be able yeah. to get you home, but it's well, a fair enough question. Um, I, I actually think Chet's a pretty good rebounder, so I'll push back on the fundamental thing. But nonetheless, uh, it's it's funny we're here because I think a year ago on this podcast, or maybe two years ago, I think my Cade versus Jalen Green argument that we both lost was rebounds. Give me the rebounds, and now here you are, two years later, arguing for Chet for the rebounds. I, I at um, plus three fifty. You're not arguing for him. You're, you're just saying that's the case if he gets there. You're at plus really three fifty, plus three fifty bet MGM. I, I actually have that priced relatively correct based on my number. I'm not going to bet it, but I actually don't think that that's a terrible number for him. I think it's about right. Yeah, the the, the difference is that I learned that you're really good at this, and so I don't want to go against <laughs> you on several of these elements. Um, sure. And it being plus three fifty, being right, I kind of agree with you. That's kind of the thing here is I'm just like, yeah, I don't. That seems right. Like I don't, I don't think there's, I don't. Do I have an yeah. edge there? No. Whether you're a world class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well being and proper recovery for top notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash blue wire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. So before we get out of here, you have a long, 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 long shot. I will re- re- reiterate the only bet I have uh, for this award, which is I have Amon Thompson. Uh, he is currently at our show sponsor, BetMGM, 25 to 1, 2,500. Um, I still think that that's good value. I understand all the reasons why people are going to push back on it. He's not going to start because it's going to be Fred Van Vliet and Jalen Green. Um, you know, there's it's a crowded backcourt. Is he going to get enough of a, of a high enough usage? A lot of this for me, we talked about like betting the number versus betting the the player. Well, one, um, can he score? Yes, he can score. Can he pass? Yes, he can pass. Can he rebound? I actually think so. He's really athletic. I think he's gonna be a sneaky good good rebounder for a guard. Uh, is was he top five? Yes, he was. So he's within our categories of like being a top five pick, not top three, which would be better, but you know top five, which I think is still is still good enough. And there was, I will say, on draft on draft day, I believe. Everyone's always like, it was always going to be this guy. I don't, I never believe that. I think there's a lot of conversation about Amon in the top three, the week of the draft. Um, I also think it's entirely possible that they wind up shifting some things around and they, and trading some guys and that Amon by the end of the season is either starting or playing a bigger role. Uh, I think that he is the kind of guy that is going to not only put up production, but I think he is going to be a guy that helps them win and is a guy that's a dog on the floor. He's got that dog in him meme.gif so 
uh, for me, this is very much a play on the guy at the number. If this was, I don't know, 15, I'd be kind of like, yeah, I don't know about that. Right. Uh, 10 to one, yeah. no way, but 25 to one for the player that I genuinely think is, is in my opinion, no worse than the third best player in the draft. And I would be not surprised if he was second. I will absolutely take Amon Thompson and would devise betting it again. Uh, I love Amon Thompson 25 to one. Wow. Not surprised to be second. That that's bold. I like that. That's second ahead of Scoot then. So Victor, then Amon. No, I think it's one of one of the two. Okay. Interesting. So yeah, I, I agree with frankly, almost all of that. I, I think to me, I need somebody out of the way. If Amon had been the Portland pick and we were looking at Amon as the, the face of the franchise scoot uh, possibility once Dame got traded, I'd be really interested. He looks really good. I agree with all the stuff you said about him, the player. I can't get there with Houston, but I, I get it. I do see a 30 to one out there. If you want to jump on that, like you said, my long shot here is down the board. I'm going with Keontae George, 80 to one at bet MGM. Look, he does not fit my profile as a top pick. Not at all. He's the number 16 pick. So it'd be one of the longest rookies to win. But if I were making my board of who can actually step in and, and produce and do all the other stuff that I need, he's about fifth to seventh on my board behind only the guys we've talked about. Basically he's next on my list. So he's the guy we talked about him in July. He's the guy people were buzzing about in summer league and as the draft nerd who follows this stuff all year, he was the guy, the one guy who jaw dropped at Summer League by, wait a minute, where was this at Baylor? We didn't see this at Baylor. And the thing that we didn't see is Keontae George is a point guard now. And at Baylor, he was the standard chucker shooting guard, the very thing I hate normally. But suddenly, he's running offense for the Jazz. He averaged at Vegas Summer League 6.3 assists per game up from 2.8 at Baylor. So now suddenly, 22 points a game and six assists for them. He took nine threes a game, shot 44%. That's very encouraging, both of those numbers as well, the volume and the, the percentage. And then Utah, I'm not in on Utah this year. We got Clarkson, Akbaji, Sexton, Keontae. Those are the guards. Maybe one of those guys clears out. Maybe we get some chance at usage here. It's a long shot. It's 80 to one, but... I think it's a little long. I think it should be like 40 or 50 to one. So still probably going to lose, but I think he's the right long shot play. Uh, okay. That's going to wrap it up for our guide to how to bet rookie of the year. You'll hear more about picks for these when we do our best bets for awards. We'll do that the week before the season starts. If you got feedback, if you got more questions, hit us up on Twitter. I'm an HP basketball. Brandon's at Wheaton Brando. You can find both of us in the award-winning action network app. Make sure, by the way, if you're listening, go find the favorites podcast pick them contest it's favorites.actionnetwork.com sign up for the contest if it's still available also also uh make sure to go to youtube.com slash the action network you can catch video versions of all of our podcasts hope you guys have yourselves a great week we'll see you guys again next time until then let's get buckets Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.